Hello and welcome to the F1 Rearview podcast and we're back with season one episode 15. We're semi in person, semi digital this week. Uh, we've all gone back from their flat to our, um, our homes, <laughs> it's fair to say. So we've got Reese on video call. Reese, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, Wi-Fi will potentially be an issue again so <laughs> i can't wait to have my, my long-winded rants and for them to just completely be misheard just completely cut so. themselves off yeah i, I mean I, I missed that that's how bad the, the wi-fi is just missed that <laughs> so uh and of course ruth is here as well sat by me once again how are you doing ruth good you good yeah right well the bahrain grand prix has been and gone and we've got a fair good amount of stuff to talk about, I think, from crashes to driver announcements to all kinds of stuff. Um, so let's start off with a bit of news that we got after um, the race. And we're recording this on the Tuesday. And thank God we've re- decided to record on the Tuesday because if we would record it yesterday like we planned, we'd have missed a lot of news. So just as well. Um, this is some news that did come out yesterday though, that we'll start with obviously following Grosjean's massive crash which we will talk about a little bit later on in the podcast um, Haas have made the announcements that for the Sakia Grand Prix this weekend we're going to be seeing a new face in Formula 1 we're going to see Emerson no not Emerson Fittipaldi it's um, what is Granson what's his name what's it what, uh, <laughs> something Fittipaldi anyway Emerson Fittipaldi's <laughs> grandson will be racing this weekend Pietro? Pietro Fittipaldi, there you go. Thank you very much. So we're going to get a Brazilian back on the F1 grid. We're going to get the uh, Fittipaldi name back into F1. I think that's really exciting. Um, so let's have a little bit of a talk about it. Ruth, are you excited to see Pietro? Um, yeah, <laughs> in F1? Um, I don't really know much about him, but um, yeah, I guess it'll add something to the next race. Mm-hmm. Reese, what do you think? Um, so I thought the lad was really good in uh, the FT race this weekend until I got informed that it wasn't <laughs> him that I thought that won the FT race. Um, mm-hmm. So I am on the same page as Ruth where I don't I don't really know a lot <laughs> to do with the lad. Um, so your, your racing knowledge has uh, topped us once again, Tom. Yeah, well, he so he's obviously the grandson of former uh, F1. I think he was world champion, Emerson Fittipaldi, um, a long time ago. He's the grandson of him, so it's his... Uh, his son's son um and he's been doing really good things coming up through the to the um sort of youth categories and i think he's racing in f3 at the moment i'm not entirely sure i might be wrong on that but he's obviously has his reserve driver has been for um the past few seasons um and so he finally gets that call up into f1 which is really good for him i'm really excited to see um what he will do um, uh, yes, his granddad. His granddad won uh, the F1 World championships. championships and the uh, India uh, the Indy 500 twice. Right. Well, there he you go. He also won twice. the kart championship as well. Karting championships as well. So he's, he was a very good driver, uh, and hopefully that it's in the blood. It's in the genes. He's got a brother as well, doesn't he, Pietro? Uh, Pietro, I don't know. He might Enzo. be. Enzo Fittipaldi. I'm not 100% sure what he does. Though. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's a very... I'm sure he's in racing somewhere because I know for a fact that family is very heavily involved in uh, motor racing in one way or another. Um, we're very, I'm very excited to see Pietro in Formula 1 and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about in next week's episode specifically sort of about that and about what he, what he achieved. If he has a good weekend or a bad weekend. Um, he's in a Haas, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but I think the big news coming out of this weekend and the big talking point well coming out today even is lewis hamilton obviously the now seven-time world champion will not be racing at the secure grand prix on sunday or in the qualifying on saturday for that matter uh, as he has tested positive for coronavirus which obviously means he's not allowed into the formula one paddock um obviously because they are following those guidelines and um and not letting people that have tested positive race etc um so the big question really that we all need to kind of have the discussion about is who is going to replace Lewis at Mercedes for this weekend. Is it going to be Van Dorn, Hulkenberg, Russell, maybe an extra third pass we haven't really thought about. Um, Reese, I'll go to you first. Who do you want to see in that Mercedes this weekend? Uh, no one else but George Russell because I feel that he kind of deserved the seat over Bottas for next season. Yeah. Sort of thing. And he is Mercedes by... Uh, Mercedes little prince, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heir to Hamilton's throne. 
So <laughs> I, I, I personally want to see him in that car. Maybe, maybe he might struggle in the car. You know, he, he might, he might not do the best. But yeah. um, I want to see him in the car. I want to see him give it a go at least. He'll probably mm-hmm. put it into a barrier behind a safety car or something, <laughs> like leading a leading a race. However, um, yeah, I, I do want to see Russell. I feel like he deserves the little com. It'd be a confidence boost. You know what I mean? And I think he deserves Definitely. that. Like. That, look, we do trust you. You are our future. You can have this drive for this weekend type thing. Definitely. Ruth, what do you think? Who would you like to see in that in that Mercedes seat? I agree with Reese that it would be good to see Russell, but then at the same time, I don't think Williams would want to give up their best qualifying driver for a weekend. True. So I think the options are Van Dorn or Hulkenberg. I personally would like to see Hulkenberg mm-hmm. as... You know, I always say... A bit of a fangirl. A bit of a fangirl. <laughs> um, but I think this season he definitely has the most experience in a lot of different cars, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. Not just one car, um, a couple. So I do think that he would be a good choice. Van Dorn? You could argue. I have to say, with Van Dorn, I think we were talking about it earlier, Um I, I don't really rate him as a driver. Mm. I don't think he's very good. And maybe it's just because he wasn't in a very good car or anything. But when he was on in Formula One, I did not think he was a very good driver. Yeah. And um, I just think it would be a shame mm. when you've got other people that you could give the chance to that maybe might um, take the opportunity and do something more with it well this is the discussion we're having earlier you know is is van dorn the right person for that seat obviously he's now mercedes formula e driver he is their registered reserve driver and he will be in sakir this weekend so i mean in terms of on paper he's the obvious choice to put into that seat we've obviously got our resident mclaren fan here he wasn't a mclaren fan necessarily when they were going through that honda period that very hard period when van dorn was at that team but that was the last time we saw Van Dorn back in 2018 in that McLaren Honda, which was an absolute dog of a car. Um, and he didn't really impress in there. He also well, he, he had struggled. Alonso as his teammate, which is which is hard enough to have. I kind of want to see him in that Mercedes because I think he's got a chance to prove himself. Because if he gets in that Mercedes, gets a podium, gets a good race, yeah, okay, that Mercedes is a great car. I'm sure it wouldn't be too difficult for him to do it. But also that's his chance to say, look, I was in a bad car. I didn't get to show myself properly last time I was in F1. I don't know, Reese. what what would you think about Van Dorn coming into that that team? So he struggled with uh, my boys at McLaren. He mm. did. The, the the last season of Van Dorn's was kind of the season where I was watching F1 a bit passively with my mum. Like, yeah. I wasn't really supporting anyone. I was just on the sofa, just kind of watching it as the, as the days go by. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he struggled with Alonso, but that's because he was with a, like, a, a multiple-time world champion yeah. in Fernando Alonso. Like, you are always going to live in his shadow. Like, look at... Look, you could say that Bottas is struggling at the minute because he's living in Hamilton's shadow. Mm. Um, I'd argue that the the choice for me, well, I said I'd like to see Russell. The choice for me would be Hulkenberg because he's already drove that Mercedes, just a pink version. He'll True. be used to yeah. the car. True. I think, um, like, on this topic, I, I find this argument quite frustrating when I read it online because... The, the issue is Van Dorn had his time and, you know, unfortunately left the sport and things like that. But if it was on another side, if it was Alex Albon, who currently isn't having a very good time in F1 yeah. and was in Van Dorn's position, no one would want him to come back. And I think it's, I don't know, I just find it frustrating because I think it's very unfair, like sometimes the the politics mm. of F1 because if it's a lot of drivers that are on the grid now that had this opportunity in the future, I don't think it would be given. No. Well, I think, yeah, there's, there is arguments to be made there, but also you can't... I think you, you have could to also re- argue that comparisons can't be made between drivers in the past and drivers now, whether it's equal. That mm. McLaren Honda, I think it's hard to even understand how bad that car was. I think you have to like put into perspective, Van Dorn had... 42 race entries yeah he only scored 26 points yeah and i think it was nine or ten retirements he had in in that time which obviously isn't down to him as a driver that was that's down to the the car car, but then he only had eight 
point finishes. Yeah. Which if you, I don't know, I just think if that happened now, people wouldn't want him to come back. So I, I just don't think it's. Yeah, I do feel that like he he was very much in a very unfortunate position in that McLaren where he got his big break when Button retired. He went into that car and it was the worst car I think F1 has seen in a long, long time, I think. It was, it was never good. The Honda engine in that car was never good. It always failed. It was not fast. It was very slow. The chassis wasn't good either. It was just a bad combination. And purely, I think, down to the fact that they didn't work well as a partnership. I think Honda didn't talk to McLaren the way McLaren wanted to talk to Honda. You look at Red Bull Honda, for example, as a comparison, they are two people that are really in sync. And I think McLaren just didn't have that with Honda. And that's why they left. And I think it was it was for the good that they left because look where they are now. They've come a long way. Um, but I think Van Dorn got caught in that crossfire and I think he really got, got harmed by it. And I think Mercedes gave him that shot in Formula E and he's been performing well in Formula E and I think he's impressed in Formula E. He's um, um, second in the standings at the minute. That's what I was just trying to research. Yeah, exactly. It's very bad. He's second in the championship, <laughs> but he is second by quite a margin by about 80, uh, 70 points. He's second by. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think this season, standing or last season, because the this season hasn't started yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was well, yeah. So, but, you yeah. know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they're in testing at the moment, and he he this he's, I think that was Mercedes' first year in in a Formula E. They did have a long way to go, and I think this year they'll develop on that. It's like any new team developing in a sport, but he did well still. Um, so we'll have to see. It'll be a very interesting one, I think. Either way, how it, how it spells out. And... Yeah, it will be interesting. But um, like just as a final point on that i guess yeah you could say the same about ferrari at the moment they have an awful car i think everyone would agree ferrari's car this year is awful i wouldn't argue as bad as that mclaren honda but it is bad yeah leclerc could have very easily been put into the same position that van dorn was Mm. and had an absolutely awful year but he did at ferrari it's true but he made the most of the situation he had and i think that's what separates drivers from one another mm. well i think way, it is I'm worth sure... saying just just oh, real quickly though that um there is 28 drivers in formula e so you could argue that finishing second in your first season in there is uh, quite the feat oh definitely yeah so um well i'm sure we'll hit stop recording on this podcast and it'll probably be announced who's going to replace hamilton but um right now we don't know it's between those three i'd love to also see russell quick sign eight russell take that mercedes seat so we can see aitkin who's been a good British prospect for a long time in Formula 2 he feels like he's been in Formula 2 for so long finally get that chance in a Williams because he is Williams's reserve driver so if Aitken could get that step up I'd love to see that as well he's he's, he's uh, definitely a hot prospect he's been in Formula 2 and not really had his chance when George and Lando and stuff have come past him I'd love to see it though but anyway that's, that's another one um, another driver announcement has been made this week which is the last bit of news we will touch on really quickly and I'm sure it's not something you guys have got to input in too much because it's another f2 driver uh, but has have revealed one half of their new driver lineup they've announced that nikita mazepin who obviously um i think we've, we've talked about it in the past on the podcast when we we're speculating who could take this seat he's been announced for that seat and it looks like the other seat will be going to schumacher not official yet but it's basically official it's like an untold secret um at this point as i think one of the sky blokes said when they're interviewing um the the has boss what's his name angry man um They've revealed one half of their new driver lineup to be Nikita Mazepin. What do you guys think of that? Do you guys know much about uh, Mazepin or, or is he a bit of just a, a name to you? Uh, Ruth, what oh, do you, you think? Got me to say. <laughs> um, I know he's Russian. He is Russian. But as, as far as that goes, I don't really know very much else about him. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen him once, possibly. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really rated driving because i haven't really seen very much of it but i do think it would be very it it's very beneficial to the sport to have younger drivers who are coming in and changing the sport up and i think yeah that's exactly what will happen with um you know newer drivers being brought on the grid we've seen it with verstappen and russell and leclerc and everyone Mm -hmm. so yeah definitely uh reese what do you think about mazepin i think there's a lot of people speculating that he could be a bit of a pay driver that's just taking the seat because he's got the money what do you reckon? Um, I I'm not sure. I'm a bit. Uh, he's third in the F2 drivers' standings. He is. Okay. He's done well this season. And 
I'll tell you what's weird. So we were talking about Schumacher probably getting the other half seat. Mm-hmm. Someone who I do feel sorry for is uh, Callum Allot. Um, Allot, yeah. Because he, he's put out, I've got a statement here from him. Like I've done, I've done my homework this week. Uh, he said, it's time that I announced that I've officially been told that I will not be racing in F1 in 2021. Yeah. Obviously, I've known this for a couple of weeks now. I am disappointed, but I will work harder and do what it takes to make sure it happens in 2022. Anyways, I have all the championships I want to win. So, yeah, well, I think for, I, I for, think... for Ilot, he was, he was always more in contention for the Alva seat. And I think... As a Ferrari young driver, that's where they wanted him. It was him or Giovinazzi, I think. That's what the toss-up was feeling. And obviously, Alfa, in the end, decided to stick with Giovinazzi because he knew the car and stuff. And that is unfortunate for him, for Ilot. And I think he he's a he's a good young prospect. He's second in the championship this year. He's done very well. I think he just needs to do one more year and win it. And I think he will win it. If Schumacher goes to Haas, Mazepin goes to Haas, he'll win it next year and I'll get that out. Well, he's, seat, a, I reckon. he's he's ahead of the rest of the pack by about by about thirty points. Exactly. I'm yeah. not like F I'm not like F two nerd or anything, but I because like this weekend was the first weekend that I've actually sat down and watched F two. Yeah. Uh, I watched the this the 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 first race. I missed the second one, which whichever one it is. It's the one for the reverse grid. The, for the one the to, feature race, yeah. The feature race that's it I, I couldn't remember the name of that then mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I he he was he was doing some incredible overtakes in that um i, I think he ended up winning uh, oh, yeah did he win it he came second he he, he did well he that's did all well. i remember he did he, well but um yeah. i i feel like it's it's sad that he got kind of overlooked this year because it would have been nice to see the top three drivers from and and consistently the top three drivers from f2 make that transition to f1 I think the simple issue is that there just isn't enough F1 spaces to go around. That's why you have people like Perez who aren't getting a seat or, you know, they could, he could get a seat after this, but at the moment, moment when we're recording it, he hasn't got a seat. exactly, yeah. And people like Hulkenberg, why they didn't stay in the sport and things like that. And I feel like I come across mean on the podcast when I say I don't feel that Kimi Raikkonen deserves this seat, but if Kimi Raikkonen wasn't there, then he would have been such a great option to go with and I feel like he has more opportunity to improve the team than Raikkonen does and I feel like that could have been a great swap between the two Mm, but they didn't well yeah I think well uh, you can have the Kimi discussion as much as you want I think for Eilat what he needs to do is wait one more year Kimi will retire and he'll get that out of a seat maybe alongside Schwartzman or something in that other seat because I don't think GA will continue after next year either into the new generation but to be fair also I make the argument for a lot that he probably would be best staying in F2 for another year instead of doing a year in these cars and then switching to a whole another F1 car sort of for 22 uh, for me if I was him I'd stay in F2 for another year and then come back in when the new regulation change happens and maybe he'll have a better shot at getting some some good points and stuff um, anyway feels like we've been talking about the news for a long time. So uh, let's actually have a bit of a chat about the race that we're here to discuss, shall we? Because, and I think there's one main talking point that we're going to be talking about here. Obviously, the race happened and it was it was quite a good race, but I think we can all agree it was very much sort of overshadowed with worry in everyone's minds about a certain Roman Grosjean. And I talked about it at the start when we said that Fittipaldi would be coming in to um, cover him. Grosjean obviously had a huge crash and it was the worst crash I personally I've been watching F1 for you know 80% of my life uh most of my life since I was a kid I've been watching F1 it's the worst crash I've ever seen that's for sure um and I think for us for us watching it everyone saw that when when he went off into the the fire I think the explosion to be fair the explosions what I saw before anything else my heart just sank I don't know about you guys I've never seen a crash like that in F1. I obviously haven't been watching it as long as you, but I've seriously never seen a crash like that. Mm. And I think the thing that was the most shocking was how long he was in the fire, number one, but then number two, the shots after, you could see where the halo had pushed the barrier up. Yeah. And the fact that he managed to even get it's out of that gap. a small gap, but he managed to find his way out. was insane to me. I mean, Reese, what did you... I mean, you, you cringed when you saw Leclerc go into the wall in uh, in Monza. How did that make you feel watching that massive explosion this time in a huge crash? Yeah, um, so um, there's, there's there's a little lad in this house called Willem, right? He's, he's, he's six, and he asked if he could watch the race with me. And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> just come 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 to the living room when you're ready. And um, luckily, 
he didn't come to the living room on the first lap because how are you meant to explain what just happened to a six-year-old? Oh, yeah. oh, like yeah. that was I I FaceTime my mum because I knew that she was watching it and I knew that you would just be sat there like heart sank talking to Ruth. Yeah. Um, so I FaceTime my mum and I was like, "Mum, um, have it... we just witnessed the you know the death of a driver?" Like I I felt absolutely awful. Well, I think we should say the fact that we didn't witness the death of a driver is incredible. And I think mm. Ted said it in, in the note, I don't know if you've seen the notebook for this week, but Ted said in the notebook, like, we very easily could have lost Roman Grosjean today. But yeah. it, it goes lengths to say what an incredible amount of work Formula One and the FIA and everyone that's involved in making the safety precautions, the stewards, et cetera, et cetera, have come for a crash like that not to be fatal is incredible. Um, I've got some stats here that um, he obviously was somehow conscious after the impact, which was over 50 G, the impact into that wall, 53 G, I think it was. He managed to get himself free from that car, get his seatbelts off and climb out. I just think that's incredible that he... he that he didn't even pass out. That's the, that's the crazy thing for me, that he had a 53 G impact... And was conscious because if if he'd have passed out, I think this would be a completely different story. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's it's incredible for me that he managed to escape from the cockpit. But obviously, I think more than obviously, Grosjean did an incredible job getting himself out. But the medical car and the stewards that arrived on scene within seconds of it happening, some went sprinting across the track. Even on a live track, they didn't care. They went sprinting across it with fire extinguishers to get to that fire to start putting it out. They were shot today. I think it was after, was it 18 seconds, Grosjean? Was it 18 seconds, something like that? So, altogether, he was actually in the car during that crash for 28 seconds. 28 seconds. And to come out, and he's, he, we can, we, it's obviously come out there in the news that he is fine, just a few minor burns. He's been doing squats what? this morning. I know, it's... I saw it. Incredible. <laughs> I said after um, the crash had happened that initially I thought he'd broken his leg. Yeah. Because the way he'd squeezed himself out of the car he'd lost his his shoe as well yeah and you could see how much damage was done to the front of that car how he came away completely unscathed is you know 50 50 g's of of impact as well and he didn't break a single thing it's incredible it's i mean you've got to take your proverbial cap off as well to where dr ian roberts and alan van der murray i know i've just messed up his last name but um like for dr ian roberts to just run straight towards the fire and grab him like i know it's his kind of his job but that that takes balls that 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 takes a lot more balls than i have that's for certain ted said as well that he was where he wasn't wearing fireproofs the no. Um, doctor he the stewards had heavy fireproof like firefighter gear on ian roberts didn't he had an open mask helmet so his face was exposed had a balaclava on that came up to his chin that was it which obviously was a fireproof balaclava but that was it and he ran without gloves on and and put his hands into the fire and pulled him out and that is just instinct and i think um i mean i said it we were watching it with my dad and i said to him like that is they they literally they pulled they Every single lap, the medical car, and a lot of people don't realize it because they are so far behind the rest of the pack. Every single opening lap of every single race, a medical car follows the pack. At the start of the grid, you'll see the medical car at the back. And then after that, you don't see it again normally because they just drive around and then come in at the end of the lap. Because obviously the first lap is where a lot of the big crashes happen. So they always follow around on the first lap and normally they're not needed. And this time, I think you must just imagine what they saw when they came around that corner and there was just half a hass sticking out a wall on fire, a huge fire. They just got to it. They didn't hesitate. They just got to it. They got there. Ian Roberts jumped out of the passenger seat, ran straight to the fire. Um, Vander, what's his name? The, the other one. Vander um, Allen. Allen. Who no, was English. Alan. I didn't it's expect him. Alan. Alan. He's English. Didn't expect him to be English. In the interview, I was like, oh, I expected Dutch or something. Anyway, he, he just he pulled up the car, parked it, went in the back, got a fire extinguisher and ran over. Like, there was no hesitation from either of them. They knew what they had to do. They knew the protocol and that was incredible. And I genuinely think without them, again, Roman would be in a very different situation. The speed, 28 seconds is a long time, but it's a it, lot less time than it could have been. I think initially you didn't even, because obviously they didn't want to show it on live TV on until the replays, yeah. Grosjean was out yeah. and he was um, you know, going to get help and stuff. Mm-hmm. You didn't even realise that the Hass had actually split completely in half yeah you you couldn't tell but um 
I, I was reading about this earlier because Grosjean has just done an interview um, and he, you know, was talking about the crash and saying about how bad it was. And he said, I don't know if the word miracle exists or if it can be used, but in any case, I would say it wasn't my time to die. It felt much longer than 28 seconds. I see my visor turning all orange. Don't forget that his visor was actually melted it when was. he got out yeah, of the car as well. Um, I thought about a lot of things, including Nicky Lauda. I thought it wouldn't be possible for me to end up like that. I couldn't finish my story in Formula One. And then for my children, I told myself I had to get out. I put my hands in the fire. So I clearly felt it burning on the chassis. I got out, then I felt someone pulling the suit. So I knew I was out. Yeah. And obviously when he put his hands out, that's when he got the minor burns because the, I think it was the gloves had separated from his fire suit, which is what happened with his feet as well when he was trying to pull himself out. Mm. Um, that's why his ankles and his hands ended yeah, up burned. It's phenomenal. An incredible story. And I mean, I, I think everyone that's seen Rush, the film obviously about Nicky Lauda, knows um, about how scary it can be being trapped in a fire. I think they, they filmed, they, that film tells it very well. It's it, you can't really imagine it. It must have been so scary for him, but he just had that instinct and, like he said, that sort of fight or flight knowledge where he was in that car. He's like, I need to go. I need to get out. I need to get out. He just did it. I don't know how. And we'll talk about the halo in a minute because I think that is a massive part of why he's still alive. Um, and obviously, I know for a fact Grosjean was against the halo originally. Um, he said in in one of his in in the video uploaded from the hospital that. Um, when, when when the Halo first came out, he didn't like it. He thought it was a bad a bad thing to be brought into Formula One. I think he's very much changed his mind now, and you can see why that was pushed uh, so hard to bring it into the sport. It is it's phenomenal. Go on, Reese. I, th- I think Karun made a very good point um, when Sky were filling up the hour of the red flag, and mm. um, because they were just talking to everyone, Karun said that if that would have happened on like turn thirteen or fourteen, that it would have been a completely different story. The fact yeah. that it was. It, I mean, it wasn't lucky that they crashed, but the fact that it was lucky that it was turn three, um, because that allowed the medical car to get there a lot sooner, to get the the extinguishers on it a lot quicker oh, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, and also another point as well, when um, Simon Lazenby was talking, was interviewing um, Dr. Ian Roberts, um, he was like, how are you? Are you okay? And he's like, oh yeah, it's just a part of the job I've got. Like My, my face, it feels a bit singed, but that's about it. Yeah. So... Exactly. It's it's phenomenal what they did and, and how quickly they got there. Let's have a chat about the halo because that is the bit I think is the most phenomenal thing. Like I said, Grosjean was opposed to it. That halo, I don't think anyone thought about it being used in this process. When the halo was originally brought in, everyone that was against it just thought it was there to deflect tyres. And that was a big part of it. It is there to say if there's a bouncing tyre, it won't hit the driver in the head because obviously um, there was a, a young driver that, that lost his life, Henry something, lost his life... Um, in Formula 3, when a tyre just went f- bouncing across the, the, the track and, and struck him in the head, and, and it was a very unfortunate um, death for him. And that was a massive thing to push the um, push push for the halo to be brought in. And a lot of people thought, it doesn't happen that often, we don't need it, it's ugly. No one thought, this halo is going to save lives because if someone goes into a barrier, that's what's going to bring the barrier over his head and not into his head. And I think that is phenomenal yeah it's um henry surtees henry surtees john surtees his grandson yeah yeah um yeah i mean i totally agree as you were saying a moment ago about grosjean he said i wasn't for the halo some years ago but i think it's the greatest thing that we've brought to formula one and without it i wouldn't even be able to speak to you today which i mean as i said earlier as well you could see where the halo had forced it up over um so yeah i mean i think everyone can agree how important the halo is now after seeing yeah how it changed the outcome of that because it it could have killed him yeah i think absolutely could have killed him any debate about that halo any debate of anyone saying it looks ugly and it shouldn't be on the formula one car is gone no one can make an argument for someone's life and that's what it is no one can make the argument against it because now there is hard evidence that says look that saved his life and there was a great picture that came out after out of the halo on that car. I don't know if you've seen it, Reese. The halo on the front of it with a massive chunk taken out of it. And basically, you can tell that if that halo wasn't there, that massive chunk would have come out of, of Grosjean's head and it would be a completely different story and he wouldn't be here. Um, so I think we should just say, again, 
incredible the amount of work F1 are doing to ensure these drivers' safety. And in fact, they came out of this now and have said they're doing an investigation into the crash to ensure that that doesn't happen again. They're, 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 he was safe and he survived. But it was too, still too far for F1 and they don't even want that to happen. They're doing another safety inspection into that to see what they can bring in to stop even that from occurring. And that is phenomenal. And that just shows the amount of the amount of drive they have to ensure that the, the, the drivers that take part in this sport are not risking their... Well, of course, they're risking their lives, but you know what I mean? Like they aren't... They're, they're, they're taking as many precautions as they can to ensure that if there is an injury, it's, it's not life-threatening. And I think that is remarkable. Yeah, I think we were saying as well, actually during the race, the amount of times they test the cars and, and everything, they can test the cars as many times, but things like that just happen. The, there was no yeah. way for them to to predict that that crash could have happened oh, no. or to prevent it yeah. in, in any way, I, I don't think. I think it's also worth mentioning that all of the drivers wear a suit which has fireproof material. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually know what it was called to begin with, but it's called Nomex. Right. And it can survive in temperatures of 840 degrees Celsius for 35 seconds. Wow. So yeah. obviously Grosjean was in the car for 28 right, seconds. Right, yeah, yeah. Had it have been seven more seconds... It would have started burning if, up. If he'd have been unconscious or anything in that car, um, yeah, he would have he Different would have story. got very, very severe burns because the fireproof suit actually melts after that for 35 seconds. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think this week in Bahrain, it was... Um, I can't remember the tag. It was thank... Thank our heroes, maybe. Uh, it was it was it's the volunteers. I think it was thank the volunteers, and obviously she was being all volunteers. They don't get paid for going and doing these F one events, um, and it, it was a very apt um, timing to, to have that event because obviously they were needed today more than ever. So, yeah, again, I think we should that they are the people that that make these events run, and they are the people that kept Roman alive um, this yeah. weekend. So it's phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, Obviously, I think we should say that we wish Roman a speedy recovery. And he says he wants to be back in the car for Abu Dhabi. And obviously, that is really hopeful that he thinks he can do that and that he's willing to do that as well. Because I don't think after a massive crash like that, I don't think I'd be able to get back in a car for a, a good, good long time. But he thinks by next week, he'll be back in a Formula One car ready for, for the race at, at Abu Dhabi, which is which is phenomenal. Oh. And I hope he does. Go on, Reese. It, it's there's there's no argument anymore. There's there's clearly no argument anymore. No. I I started watching F1 when the Halo was already on the car, so I'm not one of these people who are like there is no need for Halo. Um, and yeah. there there's absolutely no argument anymore. No, definitely not. And I, I think to be fair, I think for the most part they have been accepted as part of Formula One now. I think most people are used to them. I don't think there is much of an argument anymore. But definitely, if there is anything, if there was, you've anything, got to wait up. It's you've- been quelled. You've got to wait up between it being aesthetically pleasing and saving a life, and uh, that's no contest. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think anyone that watched that race will agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, we, we would have lost a driver this weekend. Simple as that, if the halo wasn't there. Simple as that. Um, I have to say, after the crash as well, one of his rear tyres actually came off and went flying across the um, track as well. Mm. It was so lucky that the final two cars were passed because that also would have hit their car. And, you know, obviously the Halo was designed to stop stop them yeah. being hit by the tyre after the crash with Henry. But it still would have done some damage. Oh, so definitely, yeah. It, it was very lucky that Kvyat also wasn't taken into the wall. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, right then. I think that's enough said about Broman, and obviously we do wish him a speedy recovery. Um, but there was also a race that happened after that fact, and as I said, it was very much overshadowed with everyone saying what's going to happen to him. There was, has he got broken bones? Has he got severe burns? What's happening? And and we've got more updates on that now. He's not too injured. He's just got minor burns, which is great news. Um, but the race did happen. Um, uh, and can I, I think, sorry, just go going back to the the. the- crash real quick sorry I, I've, I, did, I did put it in the script but i put it a bit too early so we kind of skipped over it right. uh, there's a video on youtube at the minute called um uh um on board uh team radios after red flag uh right. that that's the the title of it um if you've got a spare a spare couple of minutes go watch that video it's really good to see the engineers say red flag red flag 
and then to see the drivers' reactions. The two stand out for me was uh, Charles Leclerc, who used some choice language that I can't repeat on this podcast, and um, Kvyat as well. Like, like it's amazing to see how like that. It, it's it's weird to see the professional mode switch. Like first, of, like Russell, for example, on his radio, he said, "How was my start? Why was my tire spinning?" And then he was like, "How's Roman? Like, what? Like, who was that? How is? How are they? Are they okay?" So yeah, yeah just if you got if you got a spare spare couple of minutes, uh, it's just uh, drivers' radio reactions to Grosjean's crash. That's what you need to type in. It's it's worth giving that a little watch if you want a little insight. Definitely. Is Reese's microphone peaking? Because it sounds like it is in my headphones. It's fine. But it might me. just be my box. Yeah. It's okay, fine that's me. fine. Um. Right then, let's have a talk then about what happened after that red flag. Like you said, Reese, there was the red flag and then they, they rebuilt the barrier, which again, we should say, they rebuilt that barrier in such quick time. Um, but the race got going again and I think that we're not going to have too much to talk about in terms of the race because I think it's fair to say that we've already said it was overshadowed a lot by that by that incident with Grosjean. Um, there was a few major talking points, which we will kind of very briefly look at because we've taken up a large amount of the podcast, obviously talking about everything we've talked about so far. Um, the main one for me is Racing Point, and I think we'll have a, have a chat about Racing Point now. Um, what happened, I, I don't know. Obviously, Stroll had a very sort of unfortunate restart with, again, Daniel Kvyat. Um, he was very much the danger man today. Um Daniel caught Stroll going into um, turn eight. I want to say it might be it's around eight. Yeah, um, it was turn eight. Turn eight, and Stroll Stroll's car just completely flipped. And uh, we, we were watching it after that massacre. Everything got going again, and then cars uh, the camera cut to an upside down car. I was like, "What is happening in this race?" First one exposed, then one's upside down. Um, but luckily, Stroll was fine. He managed to climb out of it okay, um, and. That led to the first DNF of the race, which was obviously unfortunate for Racing Point. Then three laps from the end, when Perez is looking like he's going to be getting another podium, looking like he's going to get third place. A very, very unfortunate, and I think everyone kind of felt bad for him, a very unfortunate engine failure cost him that third place. Um, and actually ended up being a completely no-point finish for Racing Point, which, Reese, I'm sure you were absolutely buzzing about. Good weekend. You, you're up to third place now, McLaren, by 17 points. And obviously that is why it's so important that Racing Point got that no-point finish because they are in a very tightly fought battle for that third place, which is a lot of money, a lot of prize money. What what was your reaction when Perez went out? Did you feel bad for him losing that podium? Did you just start you know, clapping and getting happy because Lando and Carlos have moved up to fourth and fifth? What was your, what was your, what was your thought? I think if I said I feel bad, I'd be lying. um i found it i I found it i don't know i found it a little bit funny because he did get on his radio about three laps prior and say hey guys are you still awake yeah sort of thing to his team like like he was just coasting like one one hand on the wheel you know listening to his tunes just coasting around the track um so i mean they were definitely awake after that um (laughs) but it it, i for for me um yeah I, i mean cracking what 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 else could have happened was that albon could have had like one of his notorious little spins or offs or something and then you know lando's got a podium but yeah. that, that didn't that didn't happen <laughs> yeah well i think alex is also one that that very much benefited from that managing to get himself a podium um i don't think he was overly impressed with himself getting that podium but it was a podium on the left which i'm sure will help him in his quest to retain that rebel seat for next year um, Ruth, do you have any sort of opinion on Racing Point there? It was very unfortunate f- f- for them, wasn't it? What, what do you think about that? Um, I think Stroll's had quite a bad season, to be fair. He's had a lot of DNFs, hasn't he? More recently, he's had a lot of DNFs. Um, and, and obviously for Perez, it's a shame that he had such an issue with his car at the end. It was on fire. I've never ever seen a car like that. Mm. Smoke for so long and then catch fire mm. and the driver still drive the car because when his car first started doing that, it, he initially was by the pit lane. Yeah. So I was really confused why he didn't pull in to mm. the pit lane and stop the car so that, um, you know, because it could have been oil going out of the back of his car or anything like that but he didn't stop he just kept going Mm. and i'm not sure where he actually ended up but he was driving for a long long time 
after the issue started. Um, touching on Albon, I think credit to him. He had such a good drive this weekend. I I was really upset actually when um, after the Grosjean crash and they restarted, he had to give his position back to Bottas mm. after he had done. He did such a great manoeuvre on Bottas, yeah. forcing him on the outside to go round. Um, and obviously he took his place. Bottas fell back quite a lot. Yeah. And he did such a great move, had to give it back. But then, you know, obviously ended up on the podium in the end. But um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people have been really harsh. Obviously, he would have been much happier with himself had he fought for the position. But that's not how the race went. No. Perez went out, but he did so well to hold on to his his position throughout the race, and you know he did he had a lot of great moves. I just I feel like everyone was being quite harsh yeah. about the way Albon had got that podium. Had it have been anyone else, I have a feeling it would not have been um, being critiqued as harshly. Mm. I think there was a quote from I, from Max in an interview afterwards where he sort of said, um, "What do you think about Albon getting that podium?" He said. He didn't think it was that impressive seeing as he was 30 to 40 seconds behind his teammate being Max. Um, and I, I don't know if that shows something about Max um, and, and, and Alex's relationship, whether there's a bit of a animosity there where Max wants him to be doing better and getting more time. I think I sort of agree with him in saying that the, the 30 second gap to second place isn't great. And he didn't really have that position until Perez had that retirement. But... I don't know. It's a podium at the end of the day. It's 15 points. doesn't matter where you finish. It's the same amount of points, no matter how far behind second place you are. So, I don't know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how Red Bull look at it, whether they see that as, okay, we should give him a seat next year. He's doing better now, or whether they see that as, uh, he got a bit lucky there. I don't know. I was just going to say real quick, going uh, about Perez. Um, he's been reportedly offered a Ferrari reserve driver role for 2021. Oh, right. Um, Interesting. That's uh, news that came out four hours ago, um, but it is just kind of on the rumour mill at the minute. Mm. Um, But yeah, for 2021, uh, reportedly offered a Ferrari reserve driver role. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's important to remember that Albon also has not had the same spec car as Verstappen. He's had a completely different spec car with completely different parts because they're they've been trialling parts in his car yeah, as opposed to trialling them in Verstappen's car because obviously the car he has now is perfect for him and works really well for him but Albon has not had the same parts and has been having to test other parts that maybe aren't as great Mm. or maybe are harder to drive with. I don't know. I just just think it's really hard because I, I think he deserves his seat. I think he should get that Red Bull seat. Mm. As much as I would love to see Hulkenberg or Perez in the seat, I think Albon does deserve it. Um, and with the Verstappen thing, um, I feel like it must be hard to be your, someone's teammate who always has such a good race. I'm sure <laughs> it's the same for Bottas. Yeah. Who always has, you know, his teammate always does better. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that might push might push Albon to want to do better, which might be what Verstappen wants for him anyway. Yeah, well, either way, it gave McLaren a big boost in terms of championship point, being 17 points ahead of um, racing point now, who have fallen a long way off of that third place they were holding quite comfortably before this weekend. Obviously, there is still two races left. We're going to the Sakir Grand Prix, and then we've got Abu Dhabi. Racing point are really going to have to push themselves to to get back up to McLaren. McLaren are going to have to really push themselves to keep themselves ahead of Racing Point. And Renault was still in this fight as well. We can't forget about Renault. So it is going to be very interesting to watch that fight for third place. I think that is where everyone's eyes are going to be at this point. Could Ferrari kind of come back into it? Maybe, who knows? It's not impossible. But like I say, it's McLaren's to lose now. They've got a very nice lead on it and they're going to have to fight for it. I hope you're cheering them on, Reese, because they're going to have to do very well to keep it. Like I said, we've got two more races left for them to achieve that. Um, Sakir is next. So let's talk about Sakir. It's going back to Bahrain, but it's a different circuit, which is we, we haven't seen that in any of our double-headers we've had. Obviously, in Austria, it was the same circuit. Still, it's in the same circuit. But this time, we're going to the outside sort of um, outer rim circuit. It's going to be very fast. The fastest uh, F1 lap ever is predicted to be set this weekend, uh, which is obviously very exciting. Um, 
I'm really excited to see what happens. I think I'm very excited to see a potentially two new Formula 1 drivers in this race out of nowhere. Obviously, we're going to get um, Fittipaldi in. Are we going to get Hulkenberg or Van Dorn or Russell? It'll be very interesting to see because it's not often you get another driver in a Mercedes car. And it's be a really good... Actually, I think it'll be a very good test to see if it's the car or Hamilton. Because if another driver comes in and does very well in that car that didn't do very well, i.e. Hulkenberg, in the racing point... Whoa, 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 well, whoa, whoa. Didn't get podiums. Okay, didn't get podiums. Um, and does and wins a race like he might. We can then, you know, look at Hamilton and things. But either way, it's going to be a very exciting race not having Hamilton be there. So... Let's get some predictions in. What are we going to think for the top three qualifying and race in Sakia? Um, Reese, I'll go to you first. Qualifying a race top three, please. Um, so I don't particularly want to predict out for this. Ooh. The only thing that I want to do is say, expect to see two Williams. <laughs> I'd, I'd argue one of them in the top ten. Because wow. three, there's three straight lines on this circuit. Mm-hmm. And I mean long straight lines. Um, Williams is the fastest car in a straight line. I reckon if if George is driving for Williams, <laughs> I reckon that there'll be a Williams top 10. If not, I reckon Williams will not just be the backmarkers that they've recently been known as. I reckon that they'll they'll do incredibly well around this circuit. Where have you got the stat that Williams is fastest in a straight line? Sorry. <laughs> I giggled it. I googled fastest team in a straight line and Williams came up I think Williams maybe in a speed trap are the fastest I don't necessarily know if in a straight line um, they are it was on um, it was on the sky thing from Ted's notebook Uh, Ted said that Williams have been reported as being one of the fastest teams in a straight line well I have here one like a car comparison thing that compares all of them and on this one Mercedes is still faster in the straight line than Red Bull, then Ferrari, mm-hmm. which is uh, that quite weird. Might, are you sure that's not last season's? <laughs> because I don't think the Ferraris are very no, fast, Ferrari's but is this definitely is definitely a, line. a 2020 comparison. Mm, so interesting. How okay. strange. Well, it definitely will be very interesting to see, and I do hope Williams are able to, to, to perform well. I think it'll be interesting to see how they do. I think based on their performance at Monza, which is also a very straight line circuit, I'm not sure if they'll be uh that incredible but maybe maybe i'll have to eat my hat and we'll see next podcast if ruth is right uh ruth predict uh, well did you do a qualifying and race or was that just your qualifying race or was it both or was it both uh they uh it was just uh williams are going to do well this weekend yeah you're I not think. going to give a top three uh top three is going to be bottas first Max second, and whoever this mystery Mercedes driver is in third. Oh, okay. All right, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruth, what do you reckon? Qualifying and um, race. This race has 87 laps, I believe. I don't it's know how that is. It's going to be a very long one. On the outer ring, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. because it's much quicker. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll come down to tyre management, and um, I don't think it will really come down to the straight line speed. Only because straight line speed is great, but then um, you have to be able to have the speed throughout everything. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you get it on the straight line, but then lose it straight away after. Mm-hmm. So, I think for Quali, it'll be mystery Mercedes driver. Mystery number Mercedes one, man. we'll call him. You think he'll get pole? Mystery Mercedes man will yeah, get pole. I think he will. Ooh. Um, second, I'm going to say Verstappen. Okay. Third, I'm going to go Albon. Albon. Yeah. So you're I'll going to go say for Albon. Mystery Mercedes man is going to come in and put Bottas in his place. Well, I, <laughs> I just think Bottas, Bottas hasn't really been having a very good race here. And I think it's more down to um, his driving style, mm. which makes him fall behind. And then obviously, as we've seen in other races, when the Mercedes falls behind, it's not very good for overtaking yeah. and it doesn't work well yeah. in dirty air so i think he'll fall behind quite quickly and won't be able to make up those places again right okay so um, you, you, so you think sorry you think mercedes will win or get pole mystery mercedes man mystery mercedes man i think he'll get pole pole for the race i right. think um I'm going to say the same again. You think I'm Mystery Mercedes, man, Mystery is, going Mercedes to man is going to come in well, and he's going to absolutely 
rock everyone's world. You heard it here uh, first. Can I just jump in before yours real quick, Tom? Yeah, yeah, because um, Just to give a bit more credit to my, my Williams thing. Right. Uh, apparently in Barcelona, uh, when they were doing the testing, the preseason testing before Australia got cancelled, uh-huh. uh, Williams was the fastest car in a straight line. Okay, interesting. Did a, bit, did a bit more research on it. Right, so, well, at the start of the season, maybe they were. Fair enough. Yeah, um, so uh, obviously a lot more development's gone on. But yeah. yeah. Right then, in that case, my top three. I think I think this is going to be Red Bull's weekend to really capitalise. Without Hamilton in that Mercedes, there's going to be someone in that Mercedes that is unfamiliar with it. I don't know how much um, simulator work Van Dorn has done if he gets it. Um, and obviously, I know Hulkenberg and, and, and Russell have done none. So it's going to be a new car either way to anyone that drives it. I think this is going to be Red Bull's chance to really sort of pick up on it. But I think Bottas will shine in those circumstances, not have, being the sort of more experienced teammate. I think he'll shine. I think Bottas will be on pole. I think Verstappen will be second. And I think Albon will be third. I think Mystery Mercedes Man is going to be fourth, fifth or sixth, somewhere around there. He's not going to get straight into it, I don't think. If he gets a pole position, I'll be very shocked. I think if it's Van Dorn, mm. he will fall back. But yeah. I think if it's someone like Hulkenberg, then he'll definitely take the pole. Yeah. I only say that because racing in Formula E and racing in F1, the reason why drivers who don't do well in F1 do so well in Formula E is because it's a completely different skill set and it's completely Very different driving the car. Yeah. So that's why I feel like he won't he won't be able to come back to F1 and do very well at all yeah. if it's Van Dorn. Well, okay. I think, yes, that's what I think. I think Bottas, Verstappen, Albon for the race. Verstappen. Verstappen will win. I think second place, we'll see... I think we'll see Bottas there. Third place, I'd love to see Albon there again. But Miss G Mercedes, man, as I say, could mix things up completely. And I'm going to be... I'm so excited to watch it because I think it's going to be a very, very good race. Um... But there I hope we have for, for when it, when they're all on the grid. I hope it's just someone who comes out in black overalls and a black like mask on and stuff, and we don't actually get a reveal until it's, it's time to do <laughs> until it's time to do like the actual race. You know what I mean? Oh, he takes I... his helmet off and then grabs a different helmet, and then that's the point where you get to see. You're like, oh my god, it's you know. No, no, no. I think Stig. Don't tell anyone who it is. Just wear the helmet yeah. all weekend. Mm. No one knows who this mystery driver is. Only only when they get on the podium. <laughs> that's when they take it off, and then you can be like, it was you all along. <laughs> Michael Schumacher. Well, that'll be a hard ask. Well, either way, I think it's been a very good uh, weekend. So uh, thank you very much for joining me for today's podcast. And I we will reconvene here in a week and have a big old natter about what I'm sure will be a very exciting race. So thank you very much, Ruth, for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Mr. Keeble, over on the over the line for joining me. Uh, yeah, that, cheers. Yeah, that, on the line. On the line. On the line. Across the line. He's across the line. Uh, and we'll see you next week. I've been Tom. I've been producer Ruth. And I've been reached by Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Bye.